Hello, Don Bosi speaking. Hi, Don. It's Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I was going to start with talking just about education in general, and then we'll get into uh, first specifically. If that's sure. Okay. okay, cool. Sounds good. Okay. So just again, overall, what are your opinions on just the current state of education? And this can be across all levels, elementary, college, middle, high school. Sure. And uh, not not so sure that this applies to college, but certainly kind of at the K through 12 level, I, I think we certainly have to say that at least when it comes to math and science and kind of other STEM topics, um, I, I wouldn't say that the education system is uh, is exactly doing what we're hoping it's doing. Um, it certainly seems to, to be struggling. And, you know, I guess probably the best example or best data point I can think is, I think it was in 2012, uh, the PISA scores, which is the program for international student assessment, where you know, once again the United States United States ranks in the lower half of the 34 countries that they survey uh, for math and for science, um, and and probably the most important or the most telling uh, aspect of that is the fact that where uh, U.S. students really fall down is actually on the practical application of math and science, sort of how to use it, um, not just you know knowing facts and figures, but knowing what to do with it. And I would say that's probably one of the challenges uh, you know, that, the, that the education system faces today is sort of how to, how to teach kids how to use the information they're learning. And, and that's sort of a double-edged sword. One is they don't know what to do with it, but number two, they don't necessarily know what it's good for, so they're not necessarily interested or motivated to learn it because they don't see the connection or the relevance to the real world or how they're going to use this in their own lives um, or, or even why they should be interested. So um, I would say, and, and again, that's not really, certainly it's not an indictment so much of the teachers as it is really, I'd say, the system letting us down. Um, and, and I don't think the system has evolved kind of the way it probably needs to um, and going from, you know, what was the industrial revolution to what's now kind of the information revolution. So what steps do you think can be taken to get us to that point, to evolve the education, to improve on these problems that you're identifying? So I really think part of the solution, a big part of the solution really does come with sort of hands-on project-based learning. Again, you know, what's very different today than when I was a kid, you know, 30, 40 years ago is the fact that we all have sort of unprecedented access to information uh, that we didn't have at that time. So, so kind of back then, kind of knowing facts and figures and what you knew mattered. Today, I think, you know, we and, and any kid kind of knows if you have a question, you can get answers to it just by Googling it, right? So effectively, Today, everyone has unprecedented access to facts and figures, and, and that no longer determines what you can contribute. Really, today, it's what you can do with what you know. So it, it's really much more a function of, well, how do you use what you know to accomplish something or to do something important or you know, to move forward you know, uh, the level of knowledge? And so that's why, fundamentally, we believe that sort of project-based, hands-on learning, where kids, you know, get a challenge that's different than something they ever thought about, but they spend time working on it and struggling with it to think about, well, how do I use what I know or what I have access to 
how do I how do I work with that in order to solve kind of new and complex problems? And one reason that's very relevant is is if you think about you know most most companies, most jobs in industry, rarely are you solving a problem that someone has already solved and the answer is all written down and it's just a matter of looking it up in a book, right? I mean, you know, new products introduction, you know, even solving you know manufacturing or supply chain problems. If it was easy as looking it up on page 32 of a book and writing down the answer, you know, anybody could do that, but that's that's not what the real world is like. It, We'd all be not, doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's exactly that. It's thinking your way through the problem, think, drawing on your own experiences, drawing on the knowledge and experience of others, you know, working in a team. And I don't think there's much in our you know current kind of structured education system that really supports or develops that type of uh, thinking and you know critical reasoning and application of of knowledge you know, rather than just sort of memorization and repeating. So what about STEM schools? I feel like they almost are kind of this big craze. And I feel like I might get reprimanded for using that word to describe them. But that's all you hear about these days are are STEM schools. And someone else I was talking to made a comment that they're not necessarily the answer. So I wasn't sure what your thoughts were on the STEM schools and if they are going toward solving this problem or if there's something entirely different. I'm I'm very glad you said that, and because uh, that was very close to what I was going to say uh, <laughs> when I heard your question. And and again, I think they're a mixed bag, is, is how I would put it. Is I think for kids that know they're interested in science and technology or engineering and such as career options, I think they're you know a, a good opportunity to further kind of develop and hone that interest and skill. So I think there's a positive there. I personally believe that. Kind of STEM has become such a buzzword today that um, buzzword. I like that better than the word craze. <laughs> yeah, it's di- different take on the same theme, but but it's it's almost sort of so popular. You know, we I've ever even heard of you know schools where it's sort of like people recognize, hey, it's a way to draw in kids. Along with the kids comes funding. So you know, you run a STEM flag up the pole. You you look at the gym teacher and say, hey, you're now the STEM leader, and and sort of away we go. So. You know, I think to a little extent, it, it's a you know, there's sort of this sort of popular rush that's going on. I'm not sure that they always know what that means or what does being a STEM school really mean. How do we re- become a great STEM school? And then I think the other part of this is, you know, sort of so that that appeals to kids who think that's an interesting career opportunity or an interesting you know something they're interested in educationally. But what about the rest of the kids who haven't discovered that interest or passion yet? And, you know, again, that's a big part of our philosophy at first is there's a lot of kids out there that if you could just get them to try it and get involved in a very engaging way and give them access to inspiring challenges and and programs, that they kind of discover an inner interest that they never knew they had. Or maybe they didn't come from communities or families or cultures that, that necessarily encourage them to consider that as an option. So I worry a little bit that the concept of a STEM school is much more attractive to the kids who already know they're interested, but, but it almost leaves out a huge swath of kids who maybe just don't think that's an option for them or don't think it's cool or don't think it's something they'd be good at without ever really trying it. And, and so our, our goal would be to try to think of, well, how do you make every school a STEM school? Every single job, every single career opportunity needs technical skills. And so that, you know, really we'd like to see 
sort of a, a future where basically every school offers great STEM learning opportunities to all kids. And it's not just access, you know, accessible by the few that know that from an early age or the privileged ones. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea just because I, I feel like the STEM schools are just so focused on, like you said, you know, those kids that know exactly what they want and they want to go into those fields. But I feel like a good solution would be to be that combination, have those schools that have like a STEM program, kind of like they have like the enrichment programs or anything else, they have like a subset and they have the STEM program that students can get involved with, but then those other kids can maybe take a, a STEM-based class, but then continue on with the rest of their education in, you know, a different field, an area of interest. No, that's exactly, and, and that's our feeling is sort of, why isn't every school a great STEM school? And again, you know, there's been a lot of headlines recently that a lot of the tech companies are very dominated by white or Asian males. And so if you want the future to look different, and a lot of corporations are interested in how do we get a more diverse workforce into STEM so that they bring their perspective, their ideas to our new products, our new solutions. I really think it's not about kind of going into a subset, but, but really trying to reach out and appeal to as broad an audience as possible. And that's why you know our passion is sort of how do you bring that same excitement, that same caliber, that same capability for hands-on project-based learning to every school? And, and again, it goes down to, I would say anyone would be hard-pressed to find a, any type of job that doesn't require some level of technology capability or savviness today. Pretty much every job requires computers or just any type of technology. So uh, that, that's sort of why we, we kind of view it as it's not such a great idea going into the smaller subset, but really trying to bring that out to everyone. So, and I know we've mentioned FIRST a couple times. So how and when did you personally get involved with FIRST? So I joined FIRST about uh, two and a half years ago. Um, I had actually known about it for probably about two decades because at the time, I was working for United Technologies Corporation, which was one of the first supporters of FIRST back many, many years ago. So I had known about it. I had worked in companies that supported teams and worked with teams. So I kind of always heard about it, but I didn't personally get involved in a very deep way until about two and a half years ago. And so I know Paul Heaney, our toy director, did a, a wonderful spread with uh, Dean Kamen in January and then again recently. So in your words, what's really what is FIRST? I would say at its core, uh, so FIRST actually is an acronym. It stands for Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology. Kind of our mission is to inspire young people to become science and technology leaders and innovators. And so really at our core, it's all about inspiration. And we're huge believers that inspiration is the precursor to education. Kids that are engaged, and young kids are naturally curious. They ask why, 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 why. I mean, they want to know how things work, and, and they're just incredibly curious. And something about life and something about our education system seems to kind of beat that curiosity out of us. And so we're all about kind of engaging kids, inspiring them from a very early age. Uh, we started with a high school level robotics competition. And today we have this progression of programs now that goes all the way down, starts at age six with our first Lego League junior program, which then leads to first Lego League, first tech challenge in the middle to high school, and then culminates with first robotics competition at the high school level. But it's this whole progression of programs that goes from ages six to 18 to try to get kids in early, try to get them engaged early 
try to keep them engaged. And by engaged, I mean really inspired. It's sort of giving them interesting, engaging challenges and then let them let them be free to create, to explore, to invent. And out of that, naturally, they want to learn what they need to know in order to solve the challenge. So at our core, I would say we're, we're all about inspiration. So I feel like Earth has this sort of ripple effect. So these students, you know, they get in, they get these teams, and they work on the challenge. But then I feel like that would also affect education outside of just the first arena. Do you see it having that ripple effect? Or how do you see that having this direct or indirect effect on education outside of just the event? So first kind of, maybe I'd say we took the easy way out. And so we're an after-school program or an out-of-school program. And we said, hey, you know, we, we don't want to get involved in sort of the, the bureaucracy and such of, of the in-school. Uh, so we largely started as an out-of-school program. And again, with, with this mission of inspiring kids, also with bringing corporate mentors into the picture and getting kids working with corporate mentors to meet people from industry who day jobs, you know, do use science and technology and help these kids understand the really kind of exciting things they're doing. I would say this, what we did is really kind of this focus on hands-on project-based learning, student-centered learning. And now the really interesting thing is you're seeing a lot of that start to evolve into the classroom. If you really look at some of the transformation that's going on, and even the new standards, so the Common Core, the Next Generation Science Standards, if you look at what they're about at their heart, they really are not so much about what you know, but what you can do with what you know. So we think it's kind of interesting to see those standards and kind of some of the approaches that the education system is taking today start to mimic what FIRST does by, by bringing kind of this type of atmosphere into the classroom. And we think that's very exciting. You know, the other thing that's really interesting, and I think one of our benefits from originating in the out-of-school space is one of the great lessons that we can teach kids is that failure is okay as long as it's one step on your path to success, right? So you learn from your mistakes, you stumble, you pick yourself up, you say, what did I do wrong? And keep going and you correct it and you keep trying. And so to me, failure is not the outcome or the destination. It's just a temporary stop on the way to getting to success. Unfortunately, in the traditional education system, failure is not looked upon terribly highly. And there's, and there's not a lot of room for failure. There's not a lot of time for failure. And it just kind of doesn't fit into the normal system very well. I think you know what's exciting is we're starting to see you know the education system start to evolve to start to adopt and embrace some of these types of philosophies but it's challenging it's very challenging for them especially you know when they're held accountable for how many kids can pass the state assessment and all that type of stuff one of the things we've found neat is programs first and programs like us can be real agents for cultural change within a school and with even within a community for example People bring our programs in as an after-school program where nobody on the outside is really measuring it or looking for success or saying, well, how does this affect the state scores on this, this test and that test? But it starts to make the whole school, make the teachers, make the administrators a lot more comfortable with this type of project-based learning, hands-on learning, student-centered learning. And as they become more comfortable with that in a very non-intimidating fashion, then they start to become more comfortable bringing those concepts into the classroom into their daytime curriculum, into how they run some of their school programs. It's kind of sort of a subtle method for, for kind of changing or changing the school, changing the culture of the schools, and also as a way to kind of ease educators, teachers, administrators 
into this new type of learning, which is very different than, than what they've been taught when they went to college or what they've been doing for some number of years. So with FIRST, I'm sure you're familiar with the National Fluid Power Association's their Fluid Power Challenge mm-hmm. that um, students are doing. Do you think that you're starting to see a trend of more young adults becoming interested in technology-focused careers? I guess yes. with the proliferation of these, or do you feel like backing onto that, there's still so much more we can do to continue to increase this interest? So I would say today, it's definitely probably better than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Like you said, I would say there's still a long way to go. It is very good that more and more of these types of programs are available out there. I think that all of these types of things help kids realize they engage kids in a more well engaging or interesting way. And so these types of challenges, again, whether it's FIRST or whether it's any other type of challenge like that, it really is starting to change how they think about the future. It's interesting. We did an alumni survey, I guess, a couple years ago now. I think it was 89.6% of the kids who had come through our program that responded were now either in STEM education at the college level or in STEM careers. We definitely think that these types of programs are much more successful at engaging kids and keeping them in the pipeline. But that said, I guess the other thing that's definitely going on is Geek Chic is kind of in today. (laughs) I love that. That's great. Well, not too many kids don't know who Mark Zuckerberg is. And if Mark Zuckerberg ever threw a football in his life, I don't honestly know. But everybody (laughs) knows what he did and honestly how much money he made for doing it. So thank people like Mark Zuckerberg. I think there's also just television shows like Big Bang Theory and stuff. So I think to some extent, that's why I say is Geek Chic has kind of been in, even proliferation of smartphone technology, right? I mean, there's like really high-tech devices in every kid's hand or pocket, and I think they see the kind of impact, and I think they see, oh my gosh, somebody came up with this really cool app that did this. So I think they're seeing in part of popular culture kind of the impact that technology can have, and I think that's exciting. And that's why recently for our first Tech Challenge program, which is kind of a middle-to-high school program, We actually introduced smartphones running Android uh, operating system and using Qualcomm-powered chip technology and such. We actually introduced those as the robot communication and control system to show, help show kids, you know, that thing in your pocket is incredibly powerful. Um, Not only can it be a phone and be something you send texts on and something you run apps on, but you can actually control a device with that and move things around and lift things and such. So I think kind of the, the adoption and the proliferation of this type of technology and the awareness is really helping get kids to open their eyes. But it's still a different thing from you saying, wow, we can use an app to, hey, I could write that app. I could invent the thing that does that. So and then I, obviously the other thing that's happening culturally that, again, I think maybe we helped to spawn is just sort of the whole maker movement. People kind of getting back to I can make things. I could be a producer, not just a consumer, which I think is kind of neat. And again, I always say our kids are really makers is what they are, is we happen to give them a challenge and then they make something to address the challenge. We kind of see all of these cultural elements coming together, which is really cool because at the end of the day, our long-term goal is is to sort of change the culture to ones where science and technology and the people and innovators and leaders that create it are celebrated and are our heroes. And so I think we've come a reasonable way, but we still have a really, really long way to go. So this might be a little bit switching gears, but I just kind of popped in my head as we were talking. I actually spoke with Larry Davis a few months ago from Damon Products, and I know he's really involved with education, especially in the fluid power industries as well. And he had talked about how these soft skills, those critical thinking skills, 
and that you don't necessarily learn maybe so much in a, you know, in a factory setting, but kind of outside of that. And he touched a lot about those. So I was wondering just what your thoughts were about students and moving forward with going into careers and education and how those soft skills are just as important as learning the, the physical aspects of whatever job you're doing. I agree 100%. Before I joined FIRST, I probably spent 25, 30 years in industry running different teams, hiring people and such. And it really is true that, especially in industry, the most effective employees aren't just the ones who, oh, you know, they got an A in fluid mechanics in college, so they really know fluid mechanics. But it's, again, those people that have those soft skills to know how to apply it to new challenges, how to think critically about problems, how to work in a team, how to communicate, how to present, how to assimilate data and kind of see the picture kind of out of the, out of the colors. And so we always say, first kind of adopted a tagline called more than robots, because everybody knows us as the robotics competition. But the truth is, we use the robot as sort of an engaging way to get kids interested and excited. But what they're learning is a, is a lot more than just about how to build a robot. And of course, along the way, they learn STEM skills and hopefully generate interest in careers and such. But, but we always say the most important thing they get out of it is those soft skills or 21st century skills that are really the critical thinking, problem solving, but also the teamwork, the leadership, the communication skills. And ultimately, I think in the workforce, those are every bit as important as, as just sort of what you know. So again, it kind of goes back to that. It's not just what you know, but it's what you do with what you know and what you can accomplish with what you know. It's not all just on the science side. So what would you say if you had to pinpoint, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, one key, one ticket to education and to this whole thing of getting these students into these careers and learning those skills and completing their education and really going through and pinpoint one key or one ticket, what would, what would you say would be the biggest thing? So again, I, I would say it probably comes back to, we have to recognize the world has changed. What you know isn't as important anymore as what you can do with what you know. And in order to take advantage of that, I still think sort of inspiration is the precursor to everything. If you get kids excited, if, if you make it fun, if you make it engaging, they're going to naturally be open to learning. And the way you do that is, in my opinion, by creating a real-world, hands-on, project-based challenge that they get excited about, that they get engaged by, and that they really, really want to solve. And when you got their hearts and their passion, then you sort of help take the other barriers out of their way. It may take them a while. They may struggle with it. They may stumble a few times. But as long as you keep encouraging them along, they're going to learn a tremendous amount and accomplish a tremendous amount. And that's honestly what the world needs is, is more people with that type of capability that's inspired by passion, but really that takes those type of creative problem solvers, innovators that are also excited about taking on huge challenges like how to provide clean water to people or how to create an engine that doesn't pollute and such. So to me, I think it's sort of, it's really engaging and inspiring kids and then give them an environment where they can learn based on that excitement and engagement. Well, and I also have to say that I think the world needs more people like you and Larry and Dean who are clearly just so passionate about education and about seeing our future workforce and our students and pushing them to, to do their best and to inspire them to 
be the best they can be and to use their full potential. So I've been kind of focusing a lot on, on education recently. And so I've talked to a lot of people and I just personally want to say thank you for your drive and your passion for everything. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And we appreciate you helping us tell the story. Our passion is to figure out how to make that kind of education available and accessible to every kid everywhere. Trying to think about how to help in our own world. How do, we, how do we reach more kids? How do we reach kids from more diverse backgrounds? And how do we help the education system see what's possible and recognize we can be part of that solution that helps them move forward? I guess like we said before, we'd certainly love to see every school be a great STEM school. Well, I, I'm actually a lot of questions for you. Oh, great talking with you, Don. Thank you so much. Yeah, so nice meeting you. Of course. Thanks so much. So thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.